Today's episode of The Full 60 is brought to you by Game Time. All right, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? I honestly don't know the answer. You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is a leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score some last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is NBC's Pierre Maguire, who I'm guessing you probably have a fairly strong opinion about, which is usually the case for for TV analysts who do as many national games as Pierre does. Um, Pierre, as you know, is the voice between the benches or behind the glass, or however we say it, um, for most of NBC's biggest hockey broadcasts. Um, and that's, you know, that's made him a pretty big figure in the, in the sport of hockey. But what I found most interesting in this conversation um, was that clearly Pierre is a hockey coach at heart. And he watches games and practices and approaches players differently than most members of television broadcast media or print media or digital uh, analysis. Any, any one of us. Like he's, he tends to look at things through... Uh, a, a different lens or the lens of a coach. And I'm not sure I knew that going into this. Um, it was it was really an interesting part of the conversation, which we get to, I'm guessing, about halfway through. Um, we opened up with some conversation previewing the NHL season a little bit, some teams he's excited about, and wrap up with a, a bit of a, I don't want to say debate, but we are certainly on different sides or we have different opinions on the impact of analytics in hockey. And I wanted to get his thoughts on that. And he really didn't back down. He doubled down on kind of hit where he is on analytics. And it was, from start to finish, a fascinating, fun conversation. So let's jump right in. The Full 60 with Pierre Maguire. Well, Pierre, first of all, thanks for doing this. How was, um, are, you, are you back from the UP? How was that trip for you guys? It was phenomenal. You know, I've yeah. been up to Marquette. I've been up to Houghton before. Um, never been to Calumet. Enjoyed it unbelievably. Um, the spirit of, of hockey is live in a well there. It's... Uh, it's just it's it's so powerful to be in a place where people care so much about the sport and they care so much about their community and I know Brendan Burke and I uh, who worked together on that game really enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, I, I love those. So I've only been to one of those and it was gosh, it was a long time ago now. Um, it was in I want to say North Bay between the Thrashers and the Blues. It's gosh, it's it's hazy, but it was so cool to see an entire town rally around a game that otherwise like we wouldn't have been even paying attention to, right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> it, it was great any highlights up there of just interacting with the people um i just thought everything was great uh the, the arena was fantastic in calumet uh had a chance to uh wander around downtown houghton later on and i thought you know just the uh the renewal that's going on there is phenomenal um and just driving around you know yeah. talking to people i thought that was a, a really good part of it a really enjoyable part of it 
So how much travel do you do during the preseason? I'd be curious to see where you've been so far. Oh, over the course of my career? No, just like this year. <laughs> yeah, no. No, just uh, let's limit it to the last uh, few oh, weeks. Oh, no, just, Cal- just Calumet this year. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, right. yeah, no, just this year is Calumet. Um, you know, I've been to so many different places over the course of my career in preseason. Muskegon, Michigan, Vail, Colorado, you know, Sacramento, California. I've been Dundas, Ontario. I, I can go to La Sudbury, a lot of different places over the course of my career. 32 years, that's a lot of different places. What was going on in Sacramento? We had, when I was with Pittsburgh, we played preseason games back then, and uh, team cities used to pay us because we had Mario Lemieux and Paul Coffey, and we had a murderer's role of elite players. Yeah. Uh, cities would pay us a lot of money to go out there and play. Um, sometimes it was in Texas, sometimes it was in California. Um, but our team would go. Sometimes it was in Tampa. I remember we played a game in uh, the Thunderdome before it really was the Thunderdome against L.A. So, yeah, a lot of different things went on in those years um, with owners trying to you know, make money off the players that they had at the time in preseason. I didn't realize that. So, like, where were the game in Sacramento? Did they have a... A pretty good barn over there. Yeah, it was a solid, uh, It was where the basketball team played, the Sacramento Kings. It was actually it was good. Sure. Uh, I forget yeah. the actual size of the crowd, but it was it was positive. You know, when when Gretzky played uh, Lemieux in uh, in Tampa, I think that had forty five thousand people, if I remember correctly. It, it was a huge crowd. It was a gigantic yes. crowd. That's amazing. Um, all right, so I want to double up on a couple things here. I, I want to get into your story, but first, I wanted to use you as a way to get at, at some of the season. What like this year? There's been so much. I feel like there was no off season almost. Like there was just so much going on um, this weekend. You know, Kyle Connor gets done. I was just I was texting an exec back and forth. It was just like, what a grind they've been going through, and and the season hasn't even started yet. What like now that we can actually talk about hockey? Is there a, is there something you're looking forward to most specifically about this year? Uh, to see the growth of some of the teams that I think are about to break through. I'm um, yeah. really excited to watch the Dallas Stars and to see the next step that they're probably capable of taking. I really like the job Jimmy Montgomery did down there with his team. Yeah. Uh, Miro Haskinen is, is as good a young player as we have in the league. I mean, not enough people are talking about him. He's just a phenomenal talent. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching him and Johnny Klingberg and obviously Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. But I think the big thing is, you know, Dallas is a team poised to really take it to another level. I think the Colorado Avalanche are poised to take it to another level. Jared Bednar has done a tremendous job with that team and getting Miko Rantanen signed. Obviously, yeah. it's huge news for them. And with Landis Cog and McKinnon and Rantanen, you probably have one of the best, if not the best, lines in the National Hockey League. And Kale McCard is just starting to scratch the surface. Sammy Gerrard, I mean, Joe Sackick and his scouting staff have done a great job there so i'm looking forward to watch them and joel quenville going to florida and seeing what the florida panthers can do can they match pace with the tampa bay lightning um toronto maple leaf the pressure is on i'm looking forward to watch them you know buffalo sabers i think craig are a huge potential growth team so there's a lot to like about what's going into the season in terms of potential (laughs) growth teams I like yeah because it because it's it's fascinating because one of those teams that you just mentioned is going to take the leap right and like another one of them is going to take a step back and right now like anything can happen. It's, yep. it's, it's great. We're on this this cusp. I wanted to touch on Ralph Kruger. How how well do you know Ralph? Very well. Uh, internationally known Ralph forever. I used to when I worked in Canada. I um, you know did the World Junior forever and uh, did a lot of international events that Ralph was coaching in for Switzerland at the time and. Um, he's a tremendous communicator, very yeah. articulate, extremely intelligent. 
Uh, I think one of the things that people in Buffalo will find about him is uh, his ability to work with young players is tremendous. Um, he will commun- When they get into a bit of a slump, he'll communicate fantastically well with the players so nobody gets lost in translation. Uh, I think he'll make a big difference for their star players like Jack Eichel and um, you know, on the back and obviously Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, I'm really, I'm excited to watch what happens in Buffalo because uh, that, those fans are phenomenal. They're as good as any oh fan gosh. base in the NHL. It's crazy. Like I, I, the thing I love about Buffalo is anytime they show like the NBC ratings, it's like whatever team was playing in the game in Buffalo is too, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, no, it's great. You know, the one question mark for them will be how will their goaltending situation get stabilized. Yeah. And that's not a knock on Carter Hutton. That's not a knock on Linus Olmark. Uh, it's just the reality is that I'm not sure either one of those guys is a starter, but I do think that if they do it in tandem, they have the ability to do it. But again, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, they'll they'll be interesting. I, I, it'll be curious to see. You know, you know, Ralph obviously had some time away, and so I think that's that's a factor. And and I'm always curious to see how these these coaches who are cut just a little bit differently how that translates. Like how how much the players will embrace that, right? I, and I think today's young player will definitely embrace a communicator versus the opposite. Well, it's the, see the thing today. Um, I think more than anything else, and it's kind of phenomenal to watch is how do, um, what's the way, best way to describe it? The players today are more visual learners than audio learners. Okay. That doesn't mean that they don't do well with communication. It doesn't mean that at all. But I think more than anything else, when you look at it, they do a re- I think anyway, players today do a really good job when you have top-end video presentation. They're just mm-hmm. better skilled at that. But when you have somebody that can help that video presentation along, it makes a big difference. And I think Ralph will be able to make that difference. I, I know Donnie Granato fantastically well, and he's done such an amazing job in all the different places he's been in terms of communicating. And uh, Steve Smith is really a top-notch guy when it comes to working with defensemen. So knowing the Buffalo staff, I think it's going to be very, very strong there. Nice uh, little off-season for the Granato family. Yeah, well, good for Cammy, obviously. Yeah. And, uh I spent a lot of time uh, around uh, Tony over the years, <laughs> and he's uh, he's put himself uh, together with a tremendous program at Wisconsin. I'm so happy for them, and they have uh, obviously some really really good players. That Holy have come cow! In there. Yeah. Oh my really gosh, do. it's, it's ridiculous. Jesse Cole Caulfield is a human highlight reel when it comes to scoring goals. So they'll be fun to watch, and um, you know, obviously, Cammy getting an opportunity to be a pro scout with Seattle—that's that's tremendous. That that speaks a lot to the way. The National Hockey League is going in terms of being really inclusive. Yeah, it's it's you know it's jarring. Like you see it most at the draft. Like you sit there and you look at all the draft tables, and it's like, who boy? Like there's not a ton of diversity there. And to see what Ron Francis in Seattle is doing and, and being progressive there, I think that's 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 huge for the for where things are headed. Yeah, you know what's interesting? San Jose, a long time ago, back in the early 90s, hired a young lady that was working in Quebec for them, and it didn't get a lot of fanfare at the time, mm. and they were really on the cutting edge of that. Uh, and I know Bob Clark as well. When he was in Philadelphia, there were a lot of things, you know, a lot of people say Philadelphia, rough and tough and broad street bullies, but Bob Clark and Paul Holmgren were really on cutting edge in terms of wanting players to wear uh, eye shields and eye protection, yeah. and also bringing in uh, Haley Wickenheiser. You know, yeah. the training camp. You know, a lot of people right. were not into that, uh, <laughs> right. but they they were on it. And uh, obviously, Haley is going in the Hall of Fame this year. Just a tremendous, um, 
a tremendous representative for women's hockey at that time. And, and Philadelphia was not afraid to give her an opportunity. That's another team I'm fascinated by. We just, um, Scott Burnside, one of our writers, just left there and, and you know, a whole new coaching staff. Um, you can tell Chuck Fletcher was trying to, like, probably a team that didn't play with enough structure last year, you know, really, really address that with the players he brought in and the coaches he brought in. Well, it's a fair point. I mean, when you look at it, Alain Vigneault and Michel Therrien, both guys are coached in Montreal. Um, yeah. You know, on that, and obviously Alain in Vancouver going to the final, going to the final with the Rangers. So he's got a wealth of experience. Michel's been around forever. Mike Yo, obviously an assistant coach with Pittsburgh and, and a head coach, very successful in the minors, and then a head coach in Minnesota and in St. Louis. I think it's going to be interesting to see. you got three former head coaches. How's it going to gel? Right. Um, but there's some things there that you got to like. I mean, Sean Couture is an outstanding, but he doesn't get enough credit because everybody focuses on Claude Giroux, and mm-hmm. Claude's a good player. But Sean Couture is just an outstanding player. I think Travis Konechny is going to have a huge year there, Craig. I really do. Mm. Um, but on defense, it's got to come down to Ivan Provorov's got to be better than he was last year, and I think he can be. Uh, Shane Gossespierre is going to have to be more consistent. I think he can be. Getting Matty Niskanen out of Washington, I think, is a really good move. It's a really good move. Um, you know, he was a really good player in Washington. He was an outstanding player in Pittsburgh. So they've done so, and adding Justin Brown. I almost forgot Justin yeah. uh, coming over from San Jose. He's a stabilizing type player. So when you look at it all. There's uh there's a lot to like there, and, and it'll be interesting to see how the coaching staff blends. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think. Like, when was the last time we saw a coaching staff with three head coaches? Well, I, I I was thinking about that when they all got hired. Yeah, and I I can't really put my finger on <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. I and I you know. I mean, you would know better than I do. Like, do you feel like when there's that kind of experience, if you're the head coach, is it, are you like looking over your shoulder saying, boy, they've already hired my replacement? Or is I it, hope not. I mean, yeah. he was a big reason why they did that. I, I talked about Alan. I think he was really comfortable with all those guys. Yeah. Sure. I, I can't see that being an issue. Alan just doesn't coach that way. He's very, very confident. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I can't, of all guys, I can't see him looking over his shoulder too much. No, I agree with that. Um, I, I wanted to circle back on Colorado, too, because... I mean, the young players there, a couple of these teams, I would say the common thread outside of Dallas, but it's it's going to be goaltending. Like you have all these teams betting on these on these young players taking the next step. And then we have question marks in goal in Buffalo, a little bit in Colorado with Grubauer. But it, like that's going to be like that may be where it hinges there in Colorado. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. Um, again, I just look at the job that Joe's done there and, and the depth that they've have it for they're going to score a ton of goals you know not yeah. Kadri's a subtle little addition that not enough people are talking about he goes in there and, and Pierre Edward Belmar is another one of those guys subtle little addition so they've got the goal scoring ability but they also have um, guys that can play shutdown if they have to and that's yeah. going to be fun to watch and um, you know in goal uh, Pavel France who's the guy that I saw play in the Olympics he's the backup to Philip Grubauer and uh, he was very, very good. He was a hot commodity. A lot of people were really interested in him. So, they're, you're right. I mean, it's unproven, but I still think that they're a team that uh, is going to merit major consideration when it comes to people watching them. Yeah, no, they'll be interesting. Do you do predictions or anything like that? Never, because I got to okay, stand between right. the two. I got to stand between the two <laughs> benches. So, you know, I'll tell you how that all started, Craig. By the way, I remember doing a playoff series a long time ago. And I picked one team over another. And the coach yeah. of the team that I didn't pick, he's a friend of mine. And so I saw him the next day, and he says, you didn't pick our team to win? I said, no, well, 
don't take it personally. It's nothing personal. It's just right. how I feel. Anyways, I'm not talking to the rest of the series. Get up. Goes, yeah, yeah. I'm not kidding. Now, this is going way back. We're going back to like 06. <laughs> right, but, right. yeah. So I, I just said I learned my lesson. I'm not doing that anymore. And I've never predicted since. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, people, they do pay attention more than they should. Like, I'm always like, boy, if you knew how much thought I put into this prediction, or I guess how little thought, you probably wouldn't give it as much weight. <laughs> You know, you'll laugh at this one, though. I remember when I was coaching in the league, and uh, there were a bunch of writers from different cities in Canada that were betting against us, uh, picking against Pittsburgh when I was in the system there, and I was like, we're going to prove them wrong. Why should I even have to prove them wrong? You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You you know, when you're in the middle of the fray, you kind of get upset about it. Oh, my gosh. That's that's amazing. All right. I want to get this bit of housekeeping out of the way because there was some speculation uh, and it was reported by an athletic uh, writer about maybe a role change for you. Can you clarify where things are on any of that for us? Yeah, doing the same job as I did last year. I don't think enough people were paying attention. Um, I was asked right after the Stanley Cup final and between Washington and Vegas um, to if I would accept it to do the games out West uh, last right. year that they really wanted to try to grow their footprint in the West. And they thought that it would be a good way of trying to do that. I said, no problem. I'll do whatever I have to do. And um, I was up in Maine doing uh, a vacation with my wife and I got a call uh, from Sam flood. And he says, we'd like you to do the same thing um, this year. I was like, that's not a problem at all. I appreciate yeah. it. And so I'm basically doing the same thing as I did a year ago, you know, and so I'm I'm excited about that. I think part of being a team is you take the role that's been given to you and you try to do the best you can with the role that's been given to you. Yeah, and so Brian Boucher, same thing he's doing last year. Brian does a great job, man. He's pretty much doing the same thing as far as I know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would say the answer is yes. All right. All right. Well, good. I wanted to get that out of the way. And the other thing is, I want to, I don't know, do you, you're born in Jersey, you grow up in Montreal, you come back to Jersey, you're a dual citizen. Do you identify yourself as an American or Canadian? Uh, Both. I'm both. My mom and my wife, my children were born in Canada. I grew up in Canada. My grandmothers were both Francophone, one from France, one from Quebec. Uh, I've got a grandfather, late grandfather who, uh, it's from a family from the Ukraine. I got another one from Ireland. So I no like kidding. to say that I'm a citizen of the world. That's pretty I, good. Uh, no, but you know what? I, uh, I was born in Jersey, but really grew up in, in Montreal until I was a junior in high school. Um, yeah. I went to a, a high school down in New Jersey, which I'm really grateful to have gone to, Bergen Catholic High School, which was a, not only a, good, a great academic school, but a phenomenal athletic school. So I was really grateful to have had the chance to go there. So, all right. So then the, the litmus test is who would you play for in the Olympics? Um, well, I don't get to play anymore. So, <laughs> so there you go. Um, I, the one thing I would say is being or having had the chance to do um, so many games at the Olympics this summer going into Tokyo, by the way, will be my eighth Olympics. Yeah. So it's something that I, I never, ever take for granted. I'm so grateful to have the opportunities to work at the Olympics. Um, yeah. I've done so many great games, in, including 2010 Canada versus U.S. in the gold medal game, both on the women's and men's side. Both were great games. So I, I, you know what? I just like being there. I don't really pick for one side or the other. I just want to see a great game and have the chance to call it. I see you artfully dodging this, Pierre. That's okay. I'm, no, I'm trying because to... if, I, if I say U.S., Craig, if uh-huh. I say U.S., I think my wife and my mom will want to destroy me. Yeah. And if if I uh, say Canada, 
I'm sure a lot of people in the United States will want to destroy me. So you got to play it down the middle, which is the way I want to play it. Oh my gosh! People don't see people. Uh, people take your comments very calmly. Nobody seems to freak out about anything you say, Pierre. Just got to tell the truth. Be the most prepared. <laughs> have the most information you can, and try to tell the truth. Have you like? How do you have you? As I mean, you've been doing it a long time. Was there a time where you were like? And I can just tell you from my own perspective, like, like I had to learn to stop reading comments or whatever, and you know, or, or reviews of whatever. Like, do you? How do you tune out the noise? Because I, I, I mean, you have a bit of. A, I don't pay know. attention to it. I, uh, okay. I'm being totally frank with you. I, uh, it's really hard to prepare for a long season. Um, you know, if people saw the daily grind that you go through every day, just being uh, up to date on teams, up to date on players, up to date on injuries, up to date on contracts up to date on what's going on for the draft, up to date what's going on in the trade deadline, free agency. Yeah. Um, you just can't read comments. You got to be breaking down tape. You got to be doing a lot of stuff. So I, I really don't have time to follow the noise. Um, yeah. And the biggest thing is just, you, you need to know that you were the best prepared you could be for every single uh, event you had the opportunity to work. And that's what I try to do. So what does that look like from a really practical perspective? Like you're going into a game, a game of the week uh, like, what does that preparation look like to you? Well, that's a great that's a great question, Craig. So I'll give you an example. I'm doing Vegas and San Jose game one on uh, Wednesday night okay. with Brendan Burke. So this morning I got up at 5:30. Today's Monday, um, and I will. Uh, I've been working diligently, breaking down tape, uh, studying preseason, what guys have been doing, what they haven't been doing. Um, seeing different things that happened from their playoff series last year between San Jose and Vegas. Um, and just getting ready that way. And mm-hmm. so it's a lot. And so I've been going, like I said, it's today's Monday. Um, I'll fly all day tomorrow uh, because yeah. it's just tough to get, to, for whatever reason, the flights have been a little cuckoo out of New York into Vegas. So I'm actually connecting through Minnesota. Mm. And uh, I'll get there at one fifteen in the afternoon and be ready to go. How much, how many, in terms of just talking to, in, in this case, like Pete DeBoer, Gerard Gallant, like, is that, how much do you lean on to that insight? I don't really, I talk to them when I see them at practice or I'll, okay. we say hello before a game. But one of the things that I've tried to avoid is um, basically enveloping coaches with questions. Um, I see what they say in their press conferences. I, I know the stress that they're under on a day-to-day basis. I've walked yeah. in their shoes. So I don't try to overdo it. Um, if they want to have friendly conversation, they see me in the hallway and we have a cup of coffee or whatever. That's what yeah. I do. But I, I don't try to overwhelm them with questions or demand that you know because we're on the game of the week. I think it's more important to get the stories of the players, okay, um, and see them in the dressing room. So when you have the chance to do that, that's what I try to do. What's your strategy there? Just saddle up next to a guy? Um, no, it's more. There's you know over the time, a lot of these players have played at events outside of the National Hockey League, and I've probably broadcast some of them. So you develop friendships along the way or acquaintances along the way, and I think um, you, you know how things going. Uh, yeah. What's going on with your group? Um, you know, is there a young player that's caught your eye around the league? Just different things. You know, it looks like you're a far more aggressive team on the forecheck. Is that fair to say? Yeah, um, your power plays laboring. You're 0 for 12. Is there any subtle adjustments you can make as players that can help your power play be better? So you know you try to allow them. The questions are them to basically um, take over the, the discussion. I think they're more comfortable doing that. And one tip I had a long time ago from the 
Fisher, um, who was a legendary writer in Canada uh, in the Hockey Hall of Fame, yeah. read, said, don't use a pen and paper when you're talking to players. Now, mm-hmm. this is when I was coaching. Yeah. He said, don't use the pen and paper when you're talking to players. I said, why is that? He goes, because they won't trust you. Mm. And so I've every time I ever talk to a player, I don't ever have a pen or paper and I don't have a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so my strategy, because we do, like, uh, you know, you have to record, you have to get the quotes accurate. I do a lot of conversation before and after, right? Like, you just sit down and you chat, how's the family, whatever. And then you, you know, okay, I got to do my job, you got to do your job. And then you have the chat after. The be- My favorite example of that last year was Matt Duchesne was going through all the, st- you know, the trade rumors. He was playing with Ottawa still at this point. And, you know, you, you know Matt, really chatty guy, great kid. And... And, you know, we're, we're chatting and he just had had a baby and we're talking. And then it was like, then he's like, okay, let's, you know, we got to do what we got to do here. And he gave his no comment about the trade and then, you know, and then smiled and laughed and we had the chat after, you know, it's, yeah, you just got to work around it sometimes. No, exactly. One of the greatest things that I saw um, with him and it was bad is that he wasn't on camp as 2009 world junior team. Yeah. Uh, Ottawa. I still to this day don't understand the philosophy <laughs> But they ended up winning a gold medal, which was great. But I was, that's one thing I always felt bad for Matt because I thought he deserved to be part of that team. Obviously, he went on to be part of national teams for Canada, but I really felt badly for him because it was in uh, Ottawa, not far from where he's from, in Halliburton, Ontario. Yeah. I, you mentioned the international events or the events outside the NHL. Like For me, I have found, in terms of building relationships, even something like going to the Worlds once every couple of years, like that's it's somehow being outside of the kind of day to day grind, you end up like that's where you get some, that's where you can forge real relationships. A lot oh, of there's no question. Um, you know, I remember so many times whether it would be in uh, the Czech Republic or be in Austria in the '05 World Championships in Innsbruck and Vienna, um, getting to know Rick Nash, getting to Joe no Joe, no, Joe Thornton, um, getting to know Henrik Lundqvist before he came over to the NHL. Those those things really matter a lot. You know, some of the nicer events, I, I'll never forget the 05 Women's Worlds uh, mm-hmm. in Linköping, Sweden, uh, Canada versus the United States uh, in a gold medal game. And it, it was phenomenal, phenomenal to watch, just the talent level. Chrissy Wendell was playing for the Americans. Haley Wickenheiser was playing for Canada. I mean, they were just both phenomenal players. And you get to know those ladies over time, and you see their passion for the game and how good they are. So that was a phenomenal event. Um doing the world under 18s for a few years over in Europe. Um, again, world championships. It's just, yeah. But I think the biggest, one of the greatest opportunities for anybody in hockey is to go to a world junior. Yeah. Um, it's just, it really shows you just how great the game is. And um, I'll always be grateful for all the world juniors that was around over time. It's, it's been interesting. I would say, on the U.S. side, basically since John Carlson's goal, like the, I feel like maybe that's maybe it's personal when, when I was paying attention the closest, but like the year that Jack Campbell was great and Carlson's goal, like that era, it seemed like people in the U.S., hockey fans in the U.S., and probably coincided with the NHL Network starting to show these games. It it became less of a Canadian event, and you know, in, in North America, and American fans got into it. Uh, I think that's an unbelievably strong point and very fair, Craig. I, I'll never forget that game because just before Carlson scored, Alex Petrangelo had a chance to score yeah. and did not. And then all of a sudden Carlson came the other way and it was just a laser beam and, and in and U.S. wins. Dean Blaze wins on foreign soil, um, which I thought was amazingly apropos considering he's a guy from North Dakota. 
um, who was playing up in Saskatchewan. <laughs> and so it was, it was pretty neat um, at that time. I remember that clearly. And you know, the other one that really stands out, and, and this is where American fans can be really proud, um, the 04 World Junior was in Helsinki, Finland, and Canada and the United States had two, re- both of them had really good young teams. Both teams were very, very good. Yeah. And uh, Canada lost the gold medal game on an own goal. Mark Andre Fleury shot the puck into Braden Coburn, and Patrick O'Sullivan got credit for the goal. But oh. what I remember the most, Mike Eves was the coach. It's the first time the Americans had ever won gold at the World Junior. And it was a snowstorm that night in Helsinki. And what I remember the most is Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter held the American bus so that they could come and say thank you to our TSN broadcast team and our technicians for uh, doing a fair job, not saying that they were pro-Canada or pro-U.S. Yeah. And both those guys, that was phenomenal. And, you know, right. we've been amazing friends ever since, those two guys and myself just because I was so appreciative of it. And here's another good World Junior story for you. When Ryan Suter was 16, the World Junior was in Halifax, and he was a young player playing in an elite tournament. And I'll never forget, after uh, the U.S. lost to Canada New Year's Eve, I go to down t- in Halifax uh, to leave the building, and I see this guy hauling the skate sharpening machine out of the rink to the bus by himself. And I said, let me help you. I had no idea who it was because his back was turned to me. It was Ryan Suter as a 16-year-old. Yeah. He carried the stick bag by himself, and he was carrying the skate sharpening machine by himself. And you wonder why guys end up being great players. There's an example of why guys end up being great players. He never quit on anything. That's great. And I remember the in Vancouver in 2010, those Olympics. Those like those guys specifically talking about that World Junior. Like, you know, I don't know how other Americans approach Canada, but they, like, there was no fear there because they're like, yeah, we know, like, this is essentially the same group that we beat, so we know we can beat them in these games. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That that's a hundred percent fair to say. <laughs> that was a that was a very fun um, situation because there was so much comfort on both sides because yeah. there was so much sense of familiarity with the rosters. Absolutely. Ah, uh, that game, that game. I'm not ready to talk about it. what. What's what's been your favorite game to cover? Do you have one that you're like, holy cow, that's that's my uh, time. There's so many. I think the 2010 men's gold medal game that was, was really phenomenal. Yeah. The 06 game between Sweden and Finland um, was great, just yeah. because the Swedes forever and ever and ever had been such a hockey power, and they found a way to win. Um, you know, and it was Henrik Lundqvist really his huge coming out party. Um, and he's been so great ever since. Uh, that was a great game to call. I thought the game in '02. I was working in the studio then for TSN, but the United States and Canada with Herb Brooks coaching USA, and mm. um, you know, just a really good hockey. So many great names on the U.S. roster if you go look at it, and obviously Mario Lemieux and Paul Correa and that great Canadian team and what they were able to do to win. So I'll always remember that one as well. Um, the, the, you know what? I really don't have a favorite one because yeah. there's so many. It'd be doing an injustice to all the other great games. But game sevens never get boring. And last right. spring, I had the chance to do four game sevens, and they were all fun to be a part of. Oh, that's pretty great. Uh, so when you're doing, you mentioned doing Olympics, like you're going to Tokyo. When you're stepping outside of the hockey world, how different is that for you? Well, you do a lot of work. You do a lot of yeah. prep. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate at NBC that the people that I've worked with on those events, um, water polo in London, I did with uh, Doc Emmerich as a play-by-play person. And 
in uh, Rio. Uh, I was able to do it with Paul Burmeister, who's just uh, you know a tremendous um, analyst for football and a really burgeoning play-by-play guy in a lot of different sports. He does lacrosse and he does a lot of different things in football, on the hockey now. So he's he's a multi-talented guy, former quarterback for the Iowa University of Iowa team. Um, so no, I just you work with some really good people and they, they help you along the way. But I, I, I love water polo. It's just like hockey without ice. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like that would, I mean, I, I imagine you probably over-prepare, right, in those moments in terms of knowing the like the players involved. The most involved important and... thing is knowing the players, especially yeah. from um, the Eastern European countries. The Serbians are so good at it. Um, Montenegro is extremely good at it. Croatia is really good at it. Hungary is really good at it. Um, you don't, and you do the men and the women, so you don't want to do anybody a disservice. Yeah. So you want to be up to date on all the storylines and and the backstories of all the players that are involved. So yeah, no, it's there's work in it, but it's pleasurable work because you know you're you're out there trying to sell the game, sell their sport. Their sport's phenomenal. Those athletes don't get nearly enough credit. The water polo players, they're phenomenal. They really yeah. are. Yeah. All right. So I so I wonder when I'm sure you've told this story a million times, but I'd love to hear it again about meeting Scotty Bowman. St. Lawrence, like that well, to me is the game changer, right? Like that's the that's when the career. Yeah, starts it, was, it was a really magical moment. I was um, coaching at St. Lawrence University. Scotty's daughter Alicia was looking at schools. Um, Mike Keenan had been hired by Scotty Bowman back in the '80s to coach their farm team in Rochester when Scotty was running Buffalo, and so. Scotty asked Mike some different schools that he thought were good. He says, "Go to take her to my old school, St. Lawrence. It's a phenomenal school. Jacques Martin and I both went there. So I was running this practice at St. Lawrence, um, and I came off the ice into the coach's office. I was about to start riding the bike, and all of a sudden this gentleman came in with a baseball hat on, and he says, mm-hmm. hi, I'm Scotty Bowman. I'm like, I know who you are. How are you, sir? <laughs> nice to meet you. And he goes, I really like that practice. That was a ton of fun to watch. I go, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what are you doing here? He says, my daughter was in admissions today, and she's going on a tour of the school, and I wanted to come watch practice, so I came down. So I said, well, that's great. He goes, I'm on my way to Montreal. He was no longer with the Sabres. He was working for Hockey Night in Canada. So we were talking about different players, and he was asking me about players on our team that had been drafted. We'd had a lot of NHL draft picks on our team at that time. And uh, he says, do you mind if I take your number? I said, not at all. I said, here's the office number. Here's my home number. And this is before cell phones, Craig. Yeah. So I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> and believe it or not, around 11 o'clock that night, I think, or maybe even later, 1130, the phone rang in my apartment. So I picked it up, and it was Scotty. And he said, uh, really enjoyed that today. There's a good chance I'm going to go back to work with an NHL team. And if I do, I'd like to talk to you about potentially coming to work for me. I was like, really? Is this a prank or are you serious? Said, no, I'm dead serious. <laughs> like, how old are you at this point, Pierre? Uh, I'm young. I'm like 27, 28, right in there. Yeah, okay, I'm okay. below 30 for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then about, I don't know, three weeks later, he said, I'm going to meet with the New York Rangers, and there's a good chance I'm going to take over the team. And if I do, I want you to come with me. So I said, okay. And he called me back and he says, you know what, I met with the Rangers, it's not going to work. It's not a good fit for me. But there's another situation that's going to happen. It's going to happen right after the season, and you'll want to be aware of it. And, you know, not long after, um, he got hired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. I actually saw the press conference with he and Bob Johnson and Craig Patrick. And after the press conference was over, I'm not kidding you, probably 20 minutes afterwards, 
he called me up and he says, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, nothing. He says, okay, there'll be a plane ticket for you um, at the Ottawa airport. <laughs> Fly from Ottawa to Toronto. I'll meet you in Toronto, and then we're flying to Vancouver for the draft. Not kidding you. That's how it That's happened. That's amazing. I need it. So what? What in the world? What, what was your practice that was like? This is I don't know. I, I bowled and you were in the best practice ever. I, I have to imagine. No, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I just, <laughs> I just always. I loved. I love practice. I go to yeah. practice all the time in so many different cities, and it's not just NHL practices. You know, you can ask Teddy Donato at Harvard, or you can ask uh, Coach York at BC. I mean, different places. I'll go St. Lawrence. I'll, now Brett Brecky's there, but when Mark Morris was there, or Greg Carville was there, Joe Joe Marsh. I mean, I you Mass Amherst now with Greg Carville. I, I love watching practice. Yeah. I think practice is great. So I always really thought practice was critically important, um, both in scouting and in coaching. And so I, I've always put a lot of effort into that, you know? So if you're going, if you're kind of dropping in on a team that you're maybe you're going to be broadcasting or whatever, what what are you watching in the practice specifically? What are you looking for? You know what? That's a very good question. The, The first thing I always look for players that are putting in effort. Yeah. Uh, and then the next thing I look at is, coachability how's the coaching message being received by the players especially if you're working on whether it's a power play situation or a penalty kill situation or face-off situations in different zones or uh, in zone coverage Jacques Lemaire used to run phenomenally refined practices with Mario Tremblay and in Minnesota or with Larry Robinson in New Jersey Um, and they were subtle little things Stick position, body, and we're talking about end zone coverage now. Stick position, right. body position, fronting in front of the net. You know, with Danico and with Rafalski and with Sean Chambers and uh, with Scotty Stevens. New Jersey was way ahead of their time in terms of shot blocking, and but it was all because defensemen understood the principle of of fronting, mm. and so just little things like that. I, I'm I'm really. I know it might sound boring to the listener, but I'm tantalized by watching players get better and the game evolve. And I think right. the only way that happens is when it happens in practice. It's interesting now because of this, like, you know, I've talked to coaches now and it's, it's, it's really hard. You have to weigh, you know, rest versus practice and improving. And it's, I, you know, you wonder how much they can actually get better once the season starts. Right. Let's, well, work to rest ratio is really important. Um, yeah. critically important, but I think you can figure it out. You know, you don't need to have hour and a half practices. You need to have 45 minute practices. A lot of the teaching that you need to do now, um, you can do some of it with video. We were talking about before Some of it you need to put into practical practice on the ice. Um, but it's, you'd be surprised. I think one of the things, especially in Colorado last year, um, that helped them was the development of some of the young players over the course of the year. Yeah, and I think a lot of that happened in practice. You know, yeah. I watched Tyson. I'll give you an example. The first two guys last year in Colorado that were on the ice, and, all, and I did a lot of their games, Nathan McKinnon and Tyson Jost. Mm. And Tyson Jost was learning so much. Yeah. Tyson Jost was learning so much uh, from Nathan McKinnon about how to release the puck, how to attack out of the corners. And the lights were dark in the building, but mm. they were the first two guys on the ice. And just, I'm fascinated by that. You know, I'll I'll take you back a lot of years, but Larry Murphy and Joe Mullen were just phenomenal when it came to uh, wanting extra work. And 
they would say, could you come out and pass pucks? And so we got into a routine, and Joey wanted to always work on his release, and Larry wanted to work on his mobility on the blue line and crossing the line and getting things done. And just amazing, just amazing mm. stuff. So I I just like being around the rink. This summer yeah. was great, Craig. I'll tell you right now, this summer I spent probably four out of seven days every morning at 6.15 every morning at a rink up in Boston called The Edge. Um, a friend of mine the owner there, and, I'd have anywhere from seven to ten young men every morning at six fifteen. Um, just want—they're mostly college players, some prep school players, and a couple minor pros. And they just—they just want to get better, you know. And it's, yeah. I love watching that process. I really love it. What are you doing in TV? You should be coaching, Pierre. Jeez. Um, you ever? Uh, you ever? No. You do. You do. You think about it a lot. I do. I think about it a lot. Um, there have been opportunities over the years to go back. Uh, I had a young family, um, so I didn't want to be transient every three years. I right. wanted them to kind of be stabilized in school. And so TV is something that I had a huge passion uh, for, um, you know, and it's been great. I've enjoyed every single yeah. minute of it and all the big games and the Olympics in particular and a lot of the people that you work with. Uh, TSN was an amazing employer up in Canada that I worked for. I'm so grateful for the time that I worked for them and, still do some work for them and NBC is just an amazing NBC sports is an amazing uh, group to work for. Um, you know, the leadership's great and the people that work there, especially the support people are awesome. So it's really, it's, it's an amazing situation, but I, I miss coaching every day. I'll tell you the yeah. truth. I miss it every day. So you didn't, you came in as a scout, right? In Pittsburgh. Like what was that? Transition? Yeah, I had a funky job the first year. Um, I was scouting I was doing all the advanced scouting uh, in the preseason for the NHL team. Um, I went to Muskegon to work with some of our young players, believe it or not, and uh, I went over to Europe uh, a fair bit to look at. Uh, back then, the top players were um, some people that you might know, uh, Marcus Naslin, Peter Forsberg, hmm. Nicholas Sundstrom, you know, Roman Hammerlick, Martin Straka. Um, you know, Kovalev, Alexei Kovalev. Yeah. There were, there was that back then, um, things were amazing, uh, over in Europe because there had been like a 10 year drought of players just because of what was going on with the Berlin wall and everything else. And yeah, things were changing, you know, it was really changing and you go over there then and you see some of these guys and you're like, wow, these guys are really good. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a cool job. And then in the playoffs, the first year, um, Scotty Bowman and Bob Johnson, the late Bob Johnson, uh, put me out to work to do all the advanced scouting. So for the first round in 91, I watched, I think, Jersey's last four or five games and then drew up a game plan for the coaches that I thought would help. And then the coaches would uh, make addendums or changes to it. And then for the next round, um, you know, I watched who potentially could be our opponents and eventually we knew it was going to be Washington. So I did something on Washington and then did a ton with the Bruins for the uh, Eastern Conference Final. We were down two games to none in that series, and then the players responded. And then for the final that year was uh, Minnesota. They upset Edmonton, so I spent a lot of time in Minnesota and Edmonton in the Western Conference Final. And, um, yeah, so that's how I kind of got my feet wet with the big club. And then the next year, you know, poor Bob Johnson got sick and passed away from brain cancer. Um, my, I was actually supposed to be the head coach of our farm team in Muskegon that year, mm-hmm. and I was there. And then I got a call from uh, Scotty Bowman and Craig Patrick saying to uh, 
fly to Toronto and meet Scotty in Toronto. So I met Scotty in Toronto and, uh, and Scotty said that tomorrow morning we're going to drive to Pittsburgh and they're going to announce us as the new coaches. Um, you're going to be my assistant with Barry Smith and Rick Keogh and I'm going to be the head coach, um, hmm. as an interim guy. So that's kind of how it all started there. What would you say the biggest thing you learned from Scotty was coaching under? Uh, preparation. You can't yeah. prepare enough. Yeah. Prior preparation prevents potential problems. Um, just how smart he's just so smart. He could have, Scotty Bowman could have been a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a hockey coach, a field hockey coach. He, he could do anything. I'm telling you his brain, the cerebral power of the man is phenomenal. Still is at 85. It's just, yeah. it's amazing. Um, it's actually 86 now. Sorry, Scotty. Um, <laughs> but no, I, he, he is, um, an amazing mentor. Uh, he's a tremendous friend. And what I learned the most about him is the importance of family. Uh, he is, we'd play a game on a Saturday afternoon and right after the game, he'd get in his car and drive from Pittsburgh to Buffalo. So he could, uh, try to watch his children play sports or just spend time with them and, and take them to church on Sunday and then drive back and meet the team. I mean, that's mm. the kind of guy, just a phenomenal, phenomenal father and a great guy. What was, um, what'd you learn from the process in Hartford? You get, I mean, you were what, 30, I want to say 32 when I looked at yeah, that. There was a that's... lot going on there. It was, <laughs> you went, no, because people forget this part of the Hartford stuff. Yeah. Um, Brian Burke was the general manager, but he was only the general manager for about nine months. And he mm. left. So the person that actually hired all of us uh, left to go work for Commissioner Bettman um, after nine months. So we were in flux right away. And when we were all hired, we knew it was a major rebuild. We Everybody knew it was a major, major rebuild. And yeah. everybody was on board, whether it's Paul Holmgren, Kevin McCarthy, myself, it didn't matter. The scouts, we all knew what it was. And um, then all of a sudden, the plan changed after nine months. And it became more difficult. And then I was actually over in Europe scouting. I was the assistant GM, um, and I was and you know obviously coaching. And then I left the coaching to go overseas because we had to get some players signed. There was drop dead date. I think it was October fifteenth in those years. I could be wrong, but I think yeah. it was right around there. And um, I was overseas, and then I got a call, and they said you got to get back. I said what's up? And they said uh, I think we're going to make a coaching change, and we want you to take over. So I came back, and um, yeah, took over the team. I think the first 20 games, you'd have to look it up, but I think this is right. I think the first 20 games, we had the third best record in the league, the first hmm. 20 games that I coached. Um, so I was really proud of that. And then we, we got a rash, a major rash of injuries. We went on a West Coast trip, and um, we had a heartbreaking loss in Anaheim that I remember. And then it was a back-to-back Anaheim-San Jose, and we got steamrolled in San Jose. And then we had to leave San Jose and go play in Boston like a day and a half later. Yeah. We just we were out of gas. It was That was the vintage old NHL. Right. And that's kind of where it went off the tracks for us a little bit. And then, you know, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about uh, the importance of organization. You learn a lot about the importance of communication. You learn a lot about, you know, um, supporting, uh, having support from your management team and your ownership in particular. So you learn a lot of different things. Yeah, like I've heard people debate, you know, the right time to take a job. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when you're ready, is it the right situation? But it sounds like it was such a whirlwind. Like, you don't even have time to, like, take a step back. I didn't have time to think about it. Um, Yeah. And again, I talked to you about this before. When you're part of an organization, um, you take the role that's presented to you. And you really care about being part of that organization and doing it the best way you can. 
and you try your best. That's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So wrapping up, I wanted to, one area that I think you and I disagree is, or, or and I'm only basing this not on conversations we've had, but on comments I've seen it, is analytics. And I feel like you've, you come out in, 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 on, on the aggressive uh, stance against it. Where, where are you? Where, so we can talk this out. Yeah, no, no, that's good. That's fair. Uh, I'm a firm believer of boots on the ground. I don't think there's yeah. an analytic equation for character. Um, I haven't seen one yet. I'd like to see one. If somebody would present that to me then, and I'd see that it works, then I'd say you're all, I'm all for it. Um, a lot of it comes down to, especially at the lower levels when you use analytics, who are the people that are inputting the information? Uh, what's the difference in your eyes? A possession play might be different than in my eyes. What happens if you play for a coach like Ken Hitchcock who wants shooting and retrieval uh, or compare that to a coach like Scotty Bowman who wanted to play a pure puck possession game? Yeah. So there's so many different things. There are variables that come into the analytic part of hockey that make it tough. We also don't have out of bounds. Uh, face-off wins and losses are very um, you know, determined differently by different people. So uh, I'm a big believer that it's hard to measure character through analytics, and I've been really strong on that because I don't think there is an analytic formula for, analytic, or for, for character. No, but I, I would also say uh, it's don't you want a complete picture? Like I, I saw Ron Francis quote, cause he, you know, he's, he is, you can look at what they're building there. Um, and he's like, look, I, I want it to, I know what I see with my eyes, but I also want those checks and balances. Essentially. I'm really paraphrasing. Oh, that's fair. That. That's more than fair. You know, that's why we had the guide. That's a great point. We had the guide and record book for years in the NHL. We don't have it a hard copy anymore. You got to go online to get it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no people before the consummate trade, would look at the last five years of statistics uh, of a player, the last three years of statistics. Is a player trending up or is he trending down? That's something that's not a foreign concept. That's been done by a lot of people for a lot of years. Um, I think where we're getting into the new math or the new analytics, whatever you choose, is people, I'll give you an example. There are different teams that try to go straight analytics, and not one of those situations worked well at all. Uh, and I think they realize there has to be a, a balance. And if you don't have boots on the ground scouting every single day, a lot of character players get missed. A lot of them. Do we? I mean, I'm not sure. There's teams that have gone straight analytics. I don't know. I don't. I don't know of any team that said, well, "Hey, Buffalo did. Buffalo did. Edmonton really went very strong analytics. Arizona went analytics. Florida Panthers went analytics. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a few numbers, a few number of teams that have done that that have you know done more heavy on the analytics side than on the on the scouting side yeah i mean i would counter carolina i love what they've done in using eric talski i mean you can see his influence there and they're going to be they should be pretty good well again last year um they they did some really good things i mean i would totally see that i i did a lot of their games I yeah didn't do their boston series but i i did their series with washington and um, you know, Mrazek was tremendous. Uh, Jacob Slavin had a huge coming out party. Um, there was a lot that went on there. Uh, so I, I think that was really positive for their team a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, it'll be interesting to see this year because they really had to come from a long way back to make the playoffs. I think everybody knows that. It'll be interesting to see what they do this year. How much does the yeah. Justin Williams departure affect the leadership quotient of the team? You know, what happens with the trading of Calvin DeHaan? Can Jake Gardner play the same role or does he change his role? 
What about mm-hmm. the trade of Justin Falk? How does that affect the well-being of the team? Where does Joel Edmondson fit in? Is he going to be a happy guy or a sad guy because he got traded away from a Stanley Cup winning team? Right. There's a lot that goes into that. There's a ton that goes into that. Right, right. It is. It, I mean, you talk about culture and how to develop that. I, like, I just... It, so I, I look at, to me, the model's Toronto. I love what Kyle Dubas has done in terms of, like, let's take advantage of the fact that we have we can, we have the money to spend here. So let's, why wouldn't you have a 10 to 15 person or whatever it is, analytics group, as part of your evaluation process? Yeah, no, that that's fair. But again, so here's here's the other side of that argument. When you talk about that, where are they going to be? Can you win the Stanley Cup with three players eating up almost $40 million of your yeah. cap? It's a great and question. So, so that's that's going to be the question. I, I don't know if analytics addresses that or not. And part of why they got into that situation where they had to do that financially um, is because they, <laughs> they had great young players that wanted to do contracts. Yeah. Um, and they, I think they had to be very careful because had Austin Matthews not signed a new deal early, Craig, what – you got to think that if Austin Matthews doesn't, he's an offer sheet candidate, a major offer sheet candidate, and 100%. maybe they lose him. And so that's right. so there's a conundrum there that they're dealing with. And uh, no, I think Toronto obviously when you draft Matthews, you draft Marner. People forget when they drafted Morgan Riley. I remember saying uh, at the draft, this is the start of their rebuild. Um, you know, I watched Morgan play so many games in Moose Jaw. So it's just again, yeah. you, you look at it and. Drafting's been a big part of what they've done. It's been a huge part of what they've done. Yeah, they have. I was thinking about that today. Like, I was, I'm doing something else in them, and it was it, like a big part of their problem is that, not problem, but they've hit on these on these picks, right? Like, it wouldn't be an issue if these guys weren't good. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So that's why I say scouting such the lifeblood of any organization, and that that's why I think it's so important to have boots on the ground. But look at Connor Brown. Uh, yeah, now he's obviously in Ottawa, but he, yeah. I remember when he played with Austin Matthews and, and Zach Hyman and Mike Babcock used to tell me all the time when I do interviews with him on the bench, he'd say, Austin and the animals. Cause that's what he, he said. Those <laughs> guys are just so darn tenacious on the four check. Yeah. They create so many turnovers. They make our team better. But yet Connor Brown was not a super high profile player. Zach Hyman coming out of Michigan wasn't exactly a super high profile for the NHL. Yeah. He was a great college player, but that's what I mean. So people look at that and they say, where did these players come from? Because there was some scout that busted his derriere to go watch these guys practice, play, communicate, and everything. And eventually you find these character guys. Yeah. All right. Last thing. You've got, I think you said recently in a story, two years left on your deal. Do you do you look ahead to what's next for you? I think you always do. You have to. But, yeah, yeah. no, I, I think, um, you know, I'm not getting younger. Um, I'll be 60 years old at the end of the deal. I've got a daughter who's a freshman at Dartmouth who's a, an athlete, a rower. Mm-hmm. And I've got a son uh, who will be graduating from prep school, um, you know, at the end of the deal, and he's already committed to Colgate University to play hockey. So you always think about, uh, you know, what's going to happen next. I think that's an important part of, you know, being in this business. It's such a fluid business. You know, it goes so fast. And I'm thinking my daughter's 19 years old now. I remember when she was three months old and we moved to Toronto to work at TSN. It seems like it was yesterday. Yeah. You know, going so yeah. darn fast. That's crazy. And and now, I mean, your kids are at an age, and we've seen it happen with people, you know, in the game, where it's like, okay, you've got a little bit more flexibility if you decide to open things up in terms of what you want to do. Theory. Yeah, well, no. I mean, the one thing I would say is, and I've told this to my bosses, um, 
I love working at NBC. You yeah. Know? I, uh, I really like doing the games. Um, you know, some other opportunities have presented themselves over time and I've stayed at NBC because I like working there. But the truth of the matter is, is that, uh, they've got to get the contract back too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. So there's a lot, there's a lot of moving parts all around the hockey business. But the one thing I would say is, um, it's never boring in hockey. It's always yeah. fun. It's always yeah. fun. Well, Pierre, thanks for doing this. It was fun. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. It's been great chatting with you. Good luck with your podcast. All right. Thanks, Pierre. Take thanks, care. Bob. Take care. I want to thank Pierre for joining the podcast. That was fun. And I got to say, so I don't know Pierre all that well. Like We've only spoken a hand, handful of times. And I really appreciated how game he was for any topic that I threw at him. Like He was just open to having a conversation, told great stories. Um, had strong opinions. It was it was awesome. So thanks a lot, Pierre, for doing it. Thanks to producer Tyler for setting it up. Uh, really good episode. Um, before we wrap up, I need to ask a couple of favors. One is because we're now back outside of the Athletic app exclusively. We're back onto Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and all that, which is awesome. I'm really excited, you guys. That's really I heard a lot from from listeners, and this is what they wanted. So I'm really happy we were able to make that happen. But that also means that some of the ratings on those apps, because we have been behind the Athletic app for a few months, months or several months actually, some of the ratings are a bit outdated. So. If you are a longtime listener of this, this is really for for those of you who've been listening a long time and you haven't given a review on one of those um, platforms and you're up for it, if you could take a second to give a a rating and a review to the full 60 on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever it is you listen, I would greatly appreciate it. It would be a huge help. And I will read some of the, the better ones. Really the positive ones, let's be honest here. I'll read those at the end of some upcoming podcasts. So if you're up for that and you want to help out as we relaunch back into the wild, that would be a great help. Uh, Otherwise, I just want to encourage everyone else to subscribe to The Athletic to get some archived episodes of The Full 60 uh, on on the app there. And subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. I'm excited that we're back out there. So thank you again to Pierre for being a guest. Thank you for listening and have a great week.